Hey, how you doing? I'm Jake Humphrey and this is High Performance, our gift to you for free every single week. This is the podcast that reminds you that it's within your ambition, your purpose, your story. It's within. We just help you unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performance into your life lessons. So right now, allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes, an expert in high-performing team cultures, to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entrepreneurs, and in this case, entertainers on the planet, so they can be your teacher. Remember, this podcast is not about high achievement or high success. It's about high happiness, high self-worth, and taking you closer to a life of fulfillment, empathy, and understanding. And those are the three perfect words to introduce today's guest. This is what's coming your way on today's high performance. AJ for me personally is is a stage show name. You know what I'm saying? It's me, it's me being a music artist, but nothing much more than that, I'll be honest. It's just music. Che is everything apart from music. Che is, you know, caring about people, bringing my mum regularly and saying, how are you? You cool? Everything good? How good are you as a musician? How good am I? Genuinely, on my mum's life, I think I'm the best rapper in the UK. Genuinely. For me, it's like, cool. If I make a few records, people like me, da 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 I buy my own house and then I disappear off the face of the planet. I'm okay with that, honestly, genuinely, because I performed to the best of my ability, I gave it my all and I achieved the main goal, which was removing my mum from a dangerous situation and giving her a roof over her head and making sure that she's content. We're here to talk about high performers. That is not high performers. That's me taking the easy way out and I hate taking the easy way out. When I say the lazy way, it's not always the easy way. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, me being a black male from an impoverished area, the target was on my back from the minute I was born. That's the truth. So I'm used to it. My dad told me as a black man, he's like, look, at the end of the day, you're going to do certain things that other people will do and you'll get in more trouble just because you're black. That's how it goes. And you got to learn to like go around it, avoid it, you know, think smart and, and be careful with your moves. So you may well have come to this conversation because you want to hear from AJ Tracy, the British musician, singer, songwriter, record producer, and one of the most exciting artists on the global music scene at the moment. But you know what? This is not a conversation with AJ Tracy. Let me be clear about that. This is a conversation with Che Grant. Because we talk about the fact that AJ Tracy is just the character. AJ Tracy is a mask that this guy puts on. AJ Tracy is a place that he goes to when he performs. But to really get to the heart of who he is and what he stands for and where he's going and where he's from, you need to speak to Shea Grant. You need to speak to the young guy named after Shea Guevara, the young guy who was born in Labrick Grove, the young guy who, as you're about to hear, had to fight and scrap for every single thing that he ever got. And he will reveal to you why he's called his record label Revenge Records. He will share with you why he believes that now is the most exciting time on the planet for you, that there are more opportunities than ever before for you. We talk about mindset. We talk about focus. We talk about hard work. This is an incredibly honest conversation, but look, I'm going to keep the introduction short because it's a long conversation as well, but it's one of my favorites. And this was an especially important moment as well, because it's the first interview that he's done since he played the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. In fact, this was two or three days later. You'll hear in the conversation, he says he's still buzzing from standing on stage in front of 100,000 people. And we'll talk about why he was brave and bold and took a big risk with his Glastonbury set. And you're going to love the answer to that. I'm so pleased you've come to this. And I just can't thank AJ Tracy or, well, I can't thank Shay enough for sharing so much with us he gave us two hours of his time and we spoke about so much so let's do it shay grant aka 
AJ Tracy comes next on the High Performance Podcast. And listen, there's only one thing that I want you to do um, when you've listened to this conversation is share it. That's all I ask is that you put it on a WhatsApp group, you tell a friend, you stick it on Instagram, you put it on your Twitter, whatever, you share it somewhere to allow other people to hear the kinds of things that he shares with us. It's a valuable conversation. So enjoy. It comes next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, let's start as we always do then with the question in your mind, with all the life experience that you've had, what is high performance? Great question. I'll be ready for this one. (laughs) Um, Obviously, it means something different to everyone. Um, depending on what you do as well, what your morals are, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, high performance is whatever you choose to do and apply your life to, doing it to the best of your ability, doing it to the optimum. So that could be anything. That can be, if you feel like you're a people person and you want to communicate with people, that's communicating with people to the highest of your ability, learning maybe a little bit of someone's culture. So when you go into a conversation, you can break the ice and make them feel comfortable. That's a great skill for a people person. Obviously, I'm a rapper. For me, it'd be being able to produce my own music, write my own lyrics, and also go out on stage and perform it to the best of my ability. For me, it's like working to the best of your ability in whatever your craft is. That would be my answer. And here is the challenge for a lot of people. And this is a question that comes into us an awful lot. How do I know what my best is? How do I know I'm working to my peak? I mean, maybe you can take us back to before you got the recognition. Because actually the recognition gives you the answers quite often. How did you know back then that you were working to the very best of your ability. Honestly, you can't really ever know, but you have you have an idea, you know what I'm saying? You have a feeling. You know when you've reached your maximum. Um, for me, it was before I had any recognition, I was just trying to get on radio so people could hear me because I felt like I have this talent. The only problem is no one can hear me. Like No one knows that I exist. So as long as I get people to hear it, I'll be able to win people over. That was my idea. So I was literally, um, I had a nine to five. I worked at a restaurant in central London and um, I never wanted to like put any stress on my mum. My mum was doing the most to like support me. She was really, really helpful. Um, I told her I wanted to take a year out of uni to pursue rap. She was okay with it. She said, look, you can have a year. If you make it within a year, great. I'm happy for you. If not, I need you to obviously go back or get a job to support the family, which I think is more than anyone can ask for. Not giving you a sob story, by the way, just telling you how it was. I never really had enough money to um, complete everything I needed to do. So I couldn't like get lunch and get the tube fare and um, pay for my travel to radio and obviously get new clothes and stuff. I couldn't do all of it and give my mum money for rent. It just, there wasn't enough money. So I ended up borrowing money of my mum at the start of the month when I started my job and spending more than I earned back at the end of the month, which just left me in this feeling of like despair because I was like, how, how do I get out of this loop? Mm. Um, I was finishing work at about 
2 a.m. and then making my way either walking home to Labragrove, which is very far, or I was um, traveling to Enfield from Covent Garden to get on radio at like 2 a.m. So that for me, that's doing the best I can do. I can't do anything physically more to to get on radio. Like I'm making the, the journey, um, you know, skipping through train barriers and jumping on the back of buses to make it happen, to get to North London, to get on radio in the hope that someone's going to hear me because I feel like it's going to work out in the end. So for me, that's that's really like, you have to apply yourself. And I feel like once you tell your mind, I want to achieve this, you start subconsciously looking for different ways that you can achieve it. You look for the roots and you start seeing patterns and paths and thinking, hey, maybe I can get in here. Maybe I can have this conversation and just thinking about where things will lead to. So that's that's really, I was doing the most I could do. So can I ask you then, who who are we talking to today? Is it is it Shay or is it AJ? You're talking to Che right now, but I'm aware that AJ Tracy is part of who I am. You know what I'm saying? It's not all of who I am, but it is part of who I am. So um, I don't find it hard to separate, I'll be honest. I can easily turn off the music stuff and just talk about football or whatever I want to talk about. Um, but I'm aware that it's a part of who I am. So for me to completely like lock it away whenever I have conversations seems a bit odd because it's like locking away a part of yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, when I do shows and stuff, I do lock away Che because I feel like a lot of people have, you know, saved up their money to come see me, begged their mum for mums to, to get this ticket to the show and I owe it to them to give my best performance. So I might be pissed off before the show and um, I'll put a mask on and be like, forget that, it's my personal life. Let me give this show to the best of my ability and when I come off stage, I'll be pissed again, it's fine. But it's really essential for me to lock into who I am as AJ Tracy and give, again, high performance, you know, performance while I'm on stage. When I come off, I can deal with real life afterwards. So... That story you were telling us then about, say, working in central yeah, London yeah. and walking back to Ladbroke Grove to save money. Yeah. Who was that then? That was Chase, yeah. I don't think AJ Chase existed at that point, I'll be honest. It's like, that was an ideology that I wanted to be, but it didn't really exist yet. It's like something that I was waiting to achieve, but I hadn't made it happen yet. So that was definitely Chase. That was like the transformation process, a necessary step to get to AJ Tracy for me personally. So one of the comments that you've made as well then is that, yeah. you, that you are inherently suspicious of people. Yeah, I think so. So is that AJ Tracy being suspicious <laughs> or is that Shay? That's AJ Tracy being suspicious, I'll be honest. Because um, I feel like once you get into a high position of anything, whenever you achieve anything, it's good to be cautious. I'll say suspicious is a bit harsh, sounds a bit dark, but cautious is definitely something you need to be. I think I give everyone a chance and they say, you know, I give them enough rope and if they want to hang themselves with it, that's their business. I, I won't speak to them anymore or I'll cut them off. I'll avoid certain um, interactions that I know are only for monetary gain or they, they want to get something out of me. And yeah, man, I think being suspicious is, cautious is needed. So let's stay in this place then. Let's talk about the mindset that you do need to be successful in the world that you're in. Yeah. Being in the public eye mm -hmm. is not normal. Okay. And it isn't easy. Mm -hmm. So how big a role does a, does a positive mindset play yeah. in your life? And I, I might've read this wrong, but I kind yeah. of, even in the short time we spent together, I kind of get the impression that, this is maybe something that you've had to learn. There was maybe a point in your life where you thought, why me? Yeah, and now yeah. you're thinking, why not me? me? Yeah, yeah. Why not me? Yeah, 100%. Man. I, think, I think you're spot on there, to be honest. Yeah, maintaining a positive mindset. Man, I think when I was younger and everything was moving really quickly, I didn't really have a chance to think about being positive. I was kind of ignoring the mental side of how I feel and just cracking on with my work because it might end at any moment. So let me get the most out of it now and we can focus on how I feel about it afterwards. But... As I got older, I was like, yeah, whenever I feel down, whenever I feel anxious, nervous, not unsure of myself, no one else is going to give me the confidence apart from me. It's really nice when your mum says, you know, you're doing great. Of course, I love it. But also like, thanks mum. But 
I have to tell myself I'm doing well and I'm going to achieve that or no one else is going to give me that confidence. You have to instill it in yourself. How so, do you do that? How do you do that? I'll be honest with you, bro. I believe in myself. Like I, I can't, it's hard to, it's hard to get across because I understand some people don't have the inherent confidence. But for me, just from the beginning, it might be from my mum always supporting me, but I've always felt like whatever I need to achieve, I'm going to achieve it. I'm not sure how, but I'm definitely going to make it work. When I was younger, I remember saying to my mum, um, yeah, I'm going to be a rapper. And she was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm happy for you. I hope you do, but <laughs> you might not. <laughs> so maybe focus on a plan B. And I just said, no, 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 trust me, trust me. I'm going to be a rapper. I'm going to make a million quid. We're going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. Trust me. She's like, well, good luck. You know what I'm saying? And I remember I actually came back to my mom one day. I said to her, look, I'm a rapper. I made a million quid. What did I tell you? And she was like, yeah, to be fair. Because that's, I feel like when you program it into your mind, like I was saying before, you find the route to do it. That's what it is. So tell us then, there's lots of parents that'll listen to this and yeah. Shay. So what advice would you give to a parent mm. whose child comes to them with this grand ambition of whether it's to be a footballer yeah. or to be a rapper yeah. or to make the millions, however they do it? Mm. What helped you in terms of the messaging that you got from your mum? I think it's just about um, it's just about support and being loved, to be honest. I think once a parent loves you genuinely, regardless, and they support you and say, look, Obviously, I'm not going to let you just jump off a cliff, but if you want to give it a shot. And my mum knew I could rap. She was like, she's not deaf. She used to be a DJ. She knows I can rap. But I think she was unsure of whether I can get people to listen to my rap, which is the same thing that I was unsure about. So for me, it was like my mum was just being, hey, if you want to give this a shot, you can give it a shot. But it's applying logic to, to how much you love someone. So it's like, I'm going to give you this chance to do it, but I'm maybe going to give you a time limit or maybe I'm going to give you a certain amount of support and I'm going to say, hey, maybe we should switch our focus to something else. Because you don't want to say to your to your son or daughter, hey, go and try whatever you want to try. And they're trying for years and years and years. And then they miss the opportunity to maybe gain other skills and they're left in this position of, oh, mum or dad, you, you told me to go for it and I'll, yeah. I'll have nothing, of course. So maybe I would say, you know, wholeheartedly support someone, but maybe, you know, put a time limit on it or put certain objectives So she there. did that with you, didn't she? Yeah, she, she said, said I'll, I'll give you a year. year. Yeah. So yeah. I'll give you a year. You can take a year off uni. And if you achieve whatever you want to achieve, you feel like you're in a position to make this a career at the end of the year, then go for it. And if not, go back to uni or get a job, which is fair enough. So opinion. what did that do for you then? So when your mums give you that space yeah. and, that and that deadline, mm -hmm. what was the mental effect that that had on you? The mental effect from that was basically me knowing, all right, cool, now I can't squander my time here. I have a year, so I have to make it work within a year or this is pretty much done because <laughs> I don't have any money. So my mum supporting me is a blessing and it's something that I acknowledged a lot of my peers and friends didn't have a chance to do anything like that because I have a brother as well and she's a single mum. So her saying, I'm going to fully support you for a year. You don't have to do any sort of income for you to achieve this goal, that's like, it's, you know, it's priceless. That's that's a risk my mum took on me and that's out of love and confidence in her son. So I feel like that did to me, that was like, look, I don't want to waste this time. My mum's giving me a golden opportunity. It'd be like a shame for me to waste this. Here's a great story. I literally released a song on SoundCloud and I said to my friends, I'm like, cool, I'm going to make this song go wild. Like, I'm going to make this one go crazy. I'm going to manufacture it. The song was good anyway. It has to be good. Otherwise, no one's going to listen. But I had a plan. I had a blueprint. It was cool. I'm going to go on Twitter. I was new to Twitter. I didn't have any followers or anything. I'm going to look at, you know, Radio 1, um, BBC, um, I, whatever, ITV, everyone. I'm going to go on all the big media outlets in the UK. I'm going to search who works for them, like put their names in. I'm going to get their emails and I'm going to send this track to everyone. I'm just going to like bombard everyone with a track. And the thing is, I'm quite well-spoken. So the way I introed myself was like, hey, my name's da -da -da -da, I'm from da -da -da. This is a track. Don't worry about it if you ain't got time. But if you do, give it a listen. You might like it. And one of the people on that list, Cyan Anderson from BBC, one from One Extra, 
she heard the song, she liked it. So she was like, yeah, this is fire. Like, I like this, this is hard. And for me, I was like, yes, one of them, like, you know what I'm saying? Now, <laughs> now, the interesting bit for that is how many emails did you send to a get lot that of one response? A lot of emails, bro. Right, I sent yeah. a lot of emails. <laughs> yeah. But that's how life goes. That's how life goes. You have to try it. You have to try it. If, if you send 10 emails and you get no responses and you say, oh, yeah, I did my best. That's not doing your best. Like we, like what you guys asked me earlier, that isn't doing your best. That's not doing everything you can to achieve something. I sat down and I compiled like genuinely over a hundred different emails of people I've never met or heard of. They don't know me. And I'm just like, one of these people surely is like a tastemaker. Some, these music people, one of them at least is going to think this is a good song. Cause I, I thought it was a good song. So when Cyan said it was a good song and she's, like very important, you know what I'm saying? And what she does, she's like a massive name. So when she said, this is a good song, I was like, I knew it, I knew it was a good song. So it, then it doubled up my confidence. Now I'm a bit more confident because what I thought someone else thinks that I, I have no interaction with. Like, so she started um, a lot of her sets um, on one extra the following couple of weeks with that song. She started it with that song. She's like, yo, this is AJ Tracy from Labrador. Da, 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 da. And then people started like tweeting me. I started getting followers and people were like, oh, this kid's quite hard. Like, who is this? And then, yeah, it just started going from there. I'll be honest. I started emailing other radio stations and, like, oh, I've heard you over there. And it's like a chain effect. You know what I love about that story as well is that until that moment when you got played on One Extra, yeah. there was numerous opportunities to quit. Yes, 100%. And not only that, you were seeing people who were in your group going off and flying. And you yeah. would have been thinking, hold on, I know I've got the talent. Yeah. I know I'm working to my absolute maximum. Yet no one's seen me. No one knows of me. I'm getting, on, I'm, you know, having to jump on the back of a bus without yeah. paying because I haven't got the money. Yeah. Whereas a guy who I was running around with six months ago yeah. is suddenly it's huge fine, yeah. and he's got a car and all the other things. Yeah. And I think that is just something we should talk about for a minute about yeah. not sort of being derailed too early, yes. understanding that yeah. if everything that's worth having at one point yeah. will feel like a failure. A hundred percent. I think, hate to bring everything back into football, but I've got to give one of these examples. So, you know, when you hear like a young player, there's like a 20 year old player somewhere, he's doing really well. He just had his breakout season. He's going crazy in Germany or somewhere. And all the big clubs are trying to buy him. And he says, no, I'm not coming to any of these big clubs. Thank you, Real Madrid. Thanks, Man City. But I'm going to stay here. It's good for my development. I love that. That to me says you are a confident person and you're going to be someone who's at least looking to be a high performance individual because you believe that me staying here and carrying on what I'm building here, there'll be a point in the future when I can go over there and really be ready for it. So another example is um, someone I know um, was booked for a festival. When he got, when he got signed to a, a record label, sometimes there's things called bolt-ons, bolt-on deals. They're like, they say like, you know, we'll sign you and then we'll bolt-on that you can do this festival. We will give you this and this and this and this. So... They were put onto a festival that was main stage, pretty big, like UK festival, and they weren't ready for it. They didn't have any like big songs and they had just come straight out the gate. They were good, really good at rapping, but they were brand new. They did the show, it didn't go too well. But the problem is when I looked at that, before they even did the show, I said, if that was me, I would never have agreed to that because I'm not ready for that stage. For you to go and do a stage that's bigger than you, it can be disastrous, honestly, like really detrimental to your career. Much like a young footballer leaving to a big club and you wasn't ready. Where, where's that come from then? That laser sharp focus of not just dealing with today, but <laughs> yeah. also seeing, hold on, if I make this decision, in yeah. two months this happens and in six months this yeah. happens and in a year I'm gone, yeah. I'm finished. Um, it's part of the game. You just have to know it. I'll be honest, it's something that I learned. I didn't know this when I was younger. I just learned it as I, I went along. It's mentors? Like, no mentors, I'll be honest, no mentors. I just kind of sat back and thought, what is going to erase me from music? Because I don't want to be erased. You know, it's like chess. When you learn the the, the moves that people are going to use against you, you can learn how to defend against it. Again, like football. If you know how someone's going to attack you, you can defend against it. If they're going to overload the left side, you know how to avoid that. 
You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's like, what is going to take me out of music? I don't want to be taken out of music. This, 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 this. How do I, you know, safeguard against it? Because that might be coming up in six months time, 12 months time, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, it's that my manager said to me, look, when we we had um, Labra Grove was going crazy, playing out of everyone's cars on the radio. He's like, look, this is amazing. I'm so happy for you. But also if you chill now, then in six months time, you'll be, you'll have nothing. You have to get back to work because you're only as good as what you did six months ago. So if you're having a slow period, it's because six months ago, you wasn't doing anything. You was enjoying the fruits of your labor, which is great to sit down and enjoy, but you don't overdo it though. You don't overdo it. Same way, again, a footballer, you can't, after the season, you won the league, but you can't go party for a month because if you do and you miss pre-season, you're going to mess up for the next season, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, I'm just sitting there thinking, cool, that big show, I'm not ready for it. If they offer me it, what am I going to say? I'm going to talk to my manager and say, look, maybe we say to them to keep the relationship. We say, look, we're flattered by the offer. Thank you so much. Maybe we can do this the year after. Maybe you can, you know, put me on that booking because I'm not sure if I'm ready for that yet. And that's really important for me. Knowing your lane and your level is super, super important because if you overshoot, you can, you know, really mess up your career. But that takes a stunning level of self-awareness to know that as well, because you've got this, big ambition of where you want to get to, but then you've also got that caution of of mitigating against that risk. So how do you get that balance without being either too cocksure or too risk averse and negative? I think it's a balance that no one has down to a T. I sound like I do. I promise you I don't. (laughs) It's kind of, you know, um, as I go, I'm learning, but you obviously gain experience and you've made certain, you know, you know, you stepped on certain pitfalls before you've seen it, you know how to avoid it next time. Like um, what? Give us an example of that. An example, you know, for example, if you're like a rapper with a lot of street credibility, making a commercial record is great for your pockets. You make a lot of money, but not so great for your reputation. For me, I've definitely gone on a run of commercial records before and felt like I've kind of disconnected from my fan base a little bit, not fully, because otherwise I wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be finished. But <laughs> like definitely to a level that I had to definitely do some stuff to like, bring it back. And, and what them... did you do to bring it back? That would be giving away some trade secrets. But I oh, can tell in, you. Even that's <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah. in itself. But I can definitely tell you, um, it's very good to be aware of why you started what you do, why you wanted to be, again, high performance, why you wanted to be at the optimum level of whatever it is you do and your morality and the things you stand on. So for me, obviously, I care about my area. I'm from Labrador Grove. So whenever I have an opportunity, I'm going to talk about Grenfell because it's important to me and I feel like it's something I need to sh- you know, shine light on. Yeah. It's important for me to go back to Labrador Grove and show the local people there that I still care about them, that if I can do something to make you know improve their lives over there, I'm going to do it because that's where I came from and that's the life that I was living. If I'm not mistaken, Goulburn Road, do you guys know where that is? Yep. Cool, Goulburn Road. Um, that area is one of the poorest wards in Europe. It was at the time the poorest ward in Europe, yep. which is mind-blowing if you've been to places like, you know, Brussels, Paris, there's some really, you know, broken areas. And Goulburn Road in, in the Queen's Borough is, you know, one of the most poor wards in Europe, which is crazy. Um, on top of that, you have where I was living was, you know, you'd have big houses, but they're converted into four flats that aren't very big. Now, I'm very grateful to grow up where I lived. It was, it was lovely. I love my mum's house. It was great. But, you know, it was small. And sometimes you're living in a house where it's hard to pay the electricity, but the person opposite you has, you know, a drop top 911 and a Rolex. So that can either inspire you and spur you on and be like, hey, I'm going to make it there where they are. 
Or it can dishearten you and be like, why it's not fair? Why am I struggling here? Why do I see, you know, my mum family struggling and I have none of this and you guys have everything. So that's how my area is. So I'm really inspired to go back there and try and level the playing field if I can at some point. Could, could you tell us that the driving factor, let's go back to a, I don't know, 13, 14 yep. year old Trey. Yep, yep. Like, was it about getting the Rolex and the Porsche and the bigger flat? Nah, or nah. was it about something else? Um, the flat, yes. The flat, yes. I feel like houses are important. Houses alleviate the stress of having to pay rent. In in the ends, when you grow up poor, paying rent is a massive thing. That's like, you know, obviously you don't want your house to be lifted from under you. And your mum, if you have a single parent, is, you know, constantly working around the clock to make sure you have a roof over your head, which I'm not being dramatic. That is actually literally how it is. So because of that, I feel like a lot of us growing up with single mums and in, in impoverished areas, we really strive to put our mum in a house. Like for me, I didn't care about anything else, just putting my mum in a house because... For me, it's like, cool. If I make a few records, people like me, da 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 I buy my own house, and then I disappear off the face of the planet. I'm okay with that, honestly, genuinely, because I performed to the best of my ability, I gave it my all, and I achieved the main goal, which was removing my mum from a dangerous situation and giving her a roof over her head and making sure that she's content. You know, because she's getting older now, she's worked her whole life to provide for me and my little brother. It's nice if I can provide for her and she can enjoy retirement chilling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I did that. And that was great. But then I was like, cool. But now I need a house because now I'm still in the hood. So like, I need to, I need to be in a house. I got my own house. Then it's like, cool. I can't set any more material goals. Houses are nice to have, but material goals will always leave you wanting because you're going to achieve them inevitably at some point if you believe in yourself. And when you do, what do you want next? You know, you want a Lamborghini. You get one. No, you want a Bugatti. You get one. Like, what do you want next? You're never going to be fulfilled ever. Never, ever. It doesn't matter what you get. You can buy a small island, but then you want like a planet. Like, what? where's it going to go? You know what I'm saying? And so, you knew this at 13. You had yeah, this genuinely, sense. Yeah, that genuinely, was, genuinely right, knew yeah. that at 13. Swear to God, like genuinely thought that. Like, I had no means of, you know, getting there. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I definitely had the mentality. And of, have you been proved right? Because um, you have now got the trappings. You've had the nice cars. Do you realise that actually as you get these things, there is no yes deep, and no. long-lasting thrill? Yes and no. Yes and no. This is what I always say to everyone. It's very easy with someone with money to be like, hey, money's not everything. And, you know, da, 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 da. that's true. Yeah, cool. Money isn't everything, 100%, but it's a tool for happiness, I believe. Because like I said, if your mum's struggling to pay rent and you get money, you use the money to pay the rent and now your mum's stress-free. And because she's stress-free, you're now happy. The money didn't make you happy, but what you did with the money you know, made your life easier, made you happier. So when I bought my first chain, because when I was younger, I always wanted a chain, like all the rappers on TV, I wanted a chain. When I bought my first big chain, I'm not going to lie, I was over the moon. I was ecstatic. And I still am to this day. Every time I look at my chain, I'm happy. So that's a material object. It doesn't give me anything. It doesn't make me stronger or faster or anything, but it makes me happy because it's a, it's like a trophy of like my hard work. Is it, yep. you know, it's a statement. It's, I worked hard. I got what I wanted and I did actually work very hard for it. So no one can make me feel like, oh, you're buying these materialistic things da, 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 because that's not the be and end all. But sometimes we treat ourselves, you know what I'm saying? And I think also that's key to performing at, you know, your highest factor because for me it's like if you don't have any targets and goals you're performing for self-worth that's great but you achieve that you are eventually going to achieve that you feel like you're the best in your craft you've achieved it but it's nice to have treats to keep you going i remember when i had that holiday to wherever you went to indonesia you had a great time but to get the next holiday and have a good time you gotta work hard again you need treats you have to that's that's what i believe and can we talk about um i mean i love the fact that obviously you get these treats but also you have this real deep desire to lift up young people growing yeah. up in Labrick Grove and other parts of London yeah, or yeah. around the UK, exactly yeah. as young Shay did. And you chose arguably the biggest live performance of your career, the pyramid yeah. stage at Glastonbury, which is only a few days ago. And I'm still gassed, I'm not gonna lie. I I'm bet still you excited. are, and we'll yeah, talk still... about the feeling on stage <laughs> in a moment, but I think more importantly than that, yeah. you chose to open with a video about Grenfell. Yes, yes indeed. Why did you choose 
that moment to make that statement. That is the biggest crowd I've ever performed to in my life. And humbly speaking, I hope I perform to a bigger crowd, but I might not. So that is really my opportunity to for maximum awareness, even though it, the clip wasn't aired on TV, I was a little bit let down by that. But still, there was, you know, I was told something like 100,000 in the crowd. That's ridiculous to me. That's like, literally, I couldn't see people anymore. It was just like dots going so far back. And for them to all hear their message, and you know, they all cheered, they understood the message, they took it in. That was great for me. And when I went to, I went Nando's yesterday in Labra Grove, and like everyone in there is obviously from the local area and they were like coming up to me saying, yo, we appreciate that you, that you did that. And I'm not doing it for the recognition, I'm doing it because I care and because I lost friends in the fire. But also it's nice to know that the community, you know, they appreciate that. They, that's the kind of thing they want. They want people to be raising awareness, talking about it and just shedding the spotlight on it. And you can't put a bigger light on it in the UK than Glastonbury, to be honest. How has the, the Grenfell tragedy changed you it's really just made me a bit more disappointed in the government and there's no I, I don't think anything positive has come out of it I, the one positive actually is that I saw that my community all banded together it was really cool because like you know Christians Muslims black white women you know people genuinely I'm not joking opposing gang members genuinely coming to help together and just allowing the beef for a minute to for a better cause, which for, I saw that in my own eyes and that's that's great. But I kind of already knew Labragrove was a strong community. So that's not anything new to me. But what was new to me is that I knew the government didn't really care about, you know, impoverished people, but like to the extent, what extent you didn't care was really a shock to me, I'll be honest, because like, I'm not going to get too deep, but as you guys know, it was a, an avoidable tragedy. They knew what they were putting on the building. They had their safety checks. They knew it wasn't safe. They still went ahead because it's cheaper. And what happened, happened, you know what I'm saying? So. And what does it say to you that five years on, the pace of change yeah. to prevent this kind of thing happening again yeah. has been slow? I mean, slow is an understatement. Non-existent is the correct phrase. I feel like it was inevitable. I didn't think anyone was going to get arrested for it. It's like... You know, if a policeman's rude to you and you tell his colleague, hey, that policeman was rude, do you expect him to sanction his mate? Like, of course not. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if I told you, oh, he, was, he gave me a bit of lip in the lobby, like, I don't expect you to go and, like, you know what I'm saying, tell him off. It's just, it is how it is. Um, I think, to be honest with you, the more we make noise and put a spotlight on it, it just makes it more and more uncomfortable. Even if no one gets arrested, it just makes it more uncomfortable for them to do the same thing again, which matters to me a lot because obviously it's saving lives, genuinely saving lives. But you being willing to speak out and yep. challenge whether it's injustice, whether it's in Ladbroke Grove or whether it's, uh, a, you know, a higher political level than that also puts a target on your back. Yeah, 100%. So how do you cope with that idea of... I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, me being a black male from an impoverished area, the target was on my back from the minute I was born. That's the truth. So I'm used to it. My dad told me as a black man, he's like, look, at the end of the day, you're going to do certain things that other people will do and you'll get in more trouble just because you're black. That's how it goes. And you've got to learn to like go around it, avoid it, you know, think smart and, and be careful with your moves. There's certain things that I won't do because I know there's going to be a big spotlight on me and I'm just going to get in loads of trouble for it. You know what I'm like saying? Like what, for example? And you know what? I've been well behaved for such a long time. I'm struggling to think <laughs> yeah. of an example for you. But for example, just when I used to get on the bus on the way back from school, if I'm at the back of the bus playing my music loud and being ignorant, that's like it's not setting a good example because then everyone's going to think, you know, people who already have racist, you know, stereotypes and ideologies are going to think, see, that's what I thought. He's at the back of the bus. Like they all are making noise, blah, 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 blah. Like I'm not going to fuel the stereotype. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Even when I go to like certain areas that like I'm able to go in because of who I am, but a lot of people who look like me and are from where I'm from aren't able to be in there, certain places. I try to set the most stellar example. So when they meet someone else who's like me, they don't have a you know, misconception that they're going to be misbehaved yeah, or yeah. rude or whatever because I've come first and been like, hey, 
I can speak like you, dress like you, talk like you, walk like you, make money like you, whatever. So when they see other people, they're going to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to give him a chance because I saw AJ and he's from there and he was all right. You know what I'm saying? That, that's that's a basic example. I can't really give you exact. You know, this reminds me of the conversation with Carl Loco. Yes, you, you met Carl. Uh, Carl Loco. He was I? a he was. You might have done. He was a, he was a gang member from Brixton. Mm -hmm. His gang name was Locks, and he's gone. Oh, I know who that is. Yeah, yeah. He's gone on to do amazing things. And he mm -hmm. said to us at the end of our interview, he said, "Every day, because he now runs a, a a business looking for investment. Yeah, for young black entrepreneurs who are just not invested in. Yeah, they yeah. go into meeting after meeting after meeting. No one, no one gives them cash. Yeah, yeah. Young white guy walks in and gets yeah, cash. Yeah, yeah. And he said, every day we walk in the office and we say, act like an old rich white man. Yeah. And we both found that heartbreaking because it's <laughs> like, you still have to act in that way to be yeah. successful in this society. And we, we love to talk about how much everything's improving, mm. but I wonder if it, if it really is. I'll be honest, I think it's improving. I, I think so. From when I grew up till now, look, I've been privileged to live in London. As we know, London's very multicultural. I'm not as exposed to um, a lot of stereotypes and, you know, isms as I would be somewhere else. My nan lives in Buxton. So when I go up to Buxton, it's a little bit different, I'll be honest. Is but, this your mum's mum? Yeah, it's my mum's yeah. mum. Yeah, she's well, she lives in Buxton. But um, bless her, obviously she's blind to racism. She doesn't care about any of that stuff. She just loves everyone. But, you know, when I go up there, some I get comments sometimes, but it's like, if an 85, 90 year old man is being racist to me, like, it's not even worth me expending my energy to tell him off for it. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's really pointless at that point. You have yep. to just ignore it. But it's when young people have these ideologies that like, oh, I'm better than someone else because they're from here or this person's an immigrant or this person has this faith. Like when I, when I see young people doing that, that's what's heartbreaking to me because that means your parents have instilled that in you because you, you don't, you're not just born racist. Someone's told you to dislike someone based on the color of their skin or, you know, being sexist or whatever. Like that's, it, someone's taught you that which is horrible. You know what I'm saying? Why would you want to teach evil things to kids? It just doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about um, acting like an old white man might sound like heartbreaking, but to me, I always say to my friends, it's like, if you don't like the fact that police, you know, don't treat black people equally, a good thing that you could do is go and join the police force. I'm not telling everyone to be a policeman, if that might not be your, whatever you want to do, but if you are into like justice and whatnot, law or whatever, you can be the change. You can go in there and be the change and start the process of, you know, trying to help out if you can. Like for me, the position that I'm in, for me to not talk about um, Grenfell or Glastonbury would be, you know, a shame because I've got this platform. This is the platform that I've made and that's where I'm from. So that's the the logical thing. I don't even think it's like a, a good thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. Does that make sense? It's just things you should do. Yeah, man. I just think um, you got to try and be the change actively. So... For example, um, I'm not going to name them by name, but there was a footballer that I used to really look up to. I heard him make a racist comment and now I just won't buy into him at all. Like, you know what I'm saying? I have to do that because I don't care how good he is at football and how much I used to love him. If, if someone makes a comment that goes against what I stand for, you have to set an example for everyone else by boycotting that. That's, that's how I feel. But it also seems to me, Shay, as well, that one of the your great strengths, and I'm interested in exploring mm -hmm. how you've developed this, is... is you've almost been an outsider in lots of ways. So your ability to, to look at a different situation and feel empathy for it seems like a real superpower. So I was interested in that the you described that your mum was, well, she's white and she, and she grew up in Wales. Mm. You know, you said in Ladbroke Grove, there's a whole melting pot of different cultures that uh, grew up there. And your music seems to connect with a real diverse cross-section of yeah. the population. So how much... Do you consciously develop this ability to empathise and see the world through other people's eyes? Mm, um, I think I don't consciously develop it, but it's, it's a subconscious uh, 
upgrade that I'm doing is subconscious because every time I talk to someone new and I learn about their story and what they've gone through, I add it to the archive and I learn to be empathetic towards that cause or whatever it is because I, I might not have known that before. But as a human in general, you have a duty to make change and better things where you can. Genuinely, that's everyone's job, no? Then we'd, we would be living in a utopia if everyone actively did that. And before I, it slips my mind, let me give you a great example, yeah? My friend H, lovely kid, lovely, lovely, lovely guy, yeah? Super well-raised. I met his parents. They're great people, yeah? Apart from his dad supports United, but it's whatever. <laughs> but, He's a good man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're great people, but H, you could tell he's raised well because I, I'll give you a perfect example. I believe that rap is created by black people. And the point of it was to talk about our struggles and what we've been through. So H, inherently, he is a guest in rap because he's white, but he's an amazing rapper. He's a sick rapper. And I don't think anyone should ever judge him because he's white or black or not white, whatever. No one should judge him based on that. But what I love is that he donated a lot of money to BLM and made a point of like, he understands that, like he's a guest here. So let me do something to contribute to the people who created this genre. To me, I love that. He won so many points there from, from me. It was ridiculous. Anywhere I go and people ask me about H, I'm singing his praises. Cause that's like, he understands as a human, it's his duty to better the planet how he can. And he's got this great platform. The whole of the North love him. And he's like, you know, he's really the golden boy up there. And he's like, yo, let me shed some light on BLM, give some money towards them. And that's great. Random H big up, by the way. But this is like, that's an amazing example of someone who understands their role as a human. It's regardless you're a rapper, or football or whatever, it's just doing things that are going to better the planet and using what you've managed to achieve to do that. This reminds me of a couple of things we talk about often on high performance, yep. which is that everyone these days has an opinion, right? Everyone, everyone, everyone has an opinion. And we say often- Opinions are free. Empathy. Yeah. <laughs> empathy over opinion. There's a yep. great quote from a guy called Bill Bullard, who was a, an American politician. Yep. And he said that opinion- is the lowest form of knowledge yep. because it requires no empathy, no understanding yep. of another person. And we were joined by a great guest on High Performance previously. And this plays into so much of what you say, where he said to us, you know what, instead of judging someone because of their behavior yep. or the way they've made you feel or the way they've acted in front of someone else, mm -hmm. you have to realize that if you'd have lived their life, you'd be acting exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Important thing to know, I'll be honest. I think it's very easy nowadays with, you know, social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, for someone to just jump on the internet anonymously and leave a horrible comment. It doesn't even have to be horrible, just an opinion that wasn't needed under something that you really just didn't have to say anything. You could have silently been empathetic or you could have just, you know, had your own opinion in your head or amongst your friends, but you yeah. chose to make it public and show everyone what your opinion is. And that's why opinions are so cheap and so fickle for me. Like, you know, I'll post a piece of music and the song is three minutes, 20 long. And after 30 seconds, someone's told me it's trash, but you haven't heard the song yet. It's not even been out. It's just dropped. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I see Drake laughing at that a lot. He posts his album. Someone's like, it's trash after like three minutes. But bro, the album's how long? You haven't even heard it yet. I think with the opinion stuff, being empathetic is a lot more valuable. It's a skill that not a lot of people have. I'll be honest. I, I don't want to say I'm selective with my empathy, but it's just part of who I am to sometimes um, not give out all my energy to every cause, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a great thing that someone told me is like, um, you know, like when people say all lives matter, and people are like, why can't I say that? All lives do matter. Of course they matter. We know all lives matter. But at the moment, it feels like black lives matter the least. Yeah. So we're shining light on them until it's equal. When it's equal, we can say all lives matter because everyone will be equal again. But until it's equal, we can't use that phrase because black lives need to matter as much as white lives for it all to be, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think um, that's a good thing to apply just in life in general. Can you share with us then your relationship with social media? Yeah. I know you've had a time minimum, off social media. Minimum. 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 Right. minimum. I have a very small relationship. Why? Um, why? I'll tell you why. Because out of all the social medias, I think um, Twitter is probably 
my favorite just because you can see what people are saying. Like it just, there's no picture or anything. There's no, like, I'm not showing off. I'm just saying whatever's on my mind, which I like. Yeah. Obviously you get a lot of people spouting nonsense on there. I find Twitter horrendous. But you know what I like? Horrendous. It? You, but it's good for conversations though. You can see a full thread of conversations rather than Instagram. It's like, here's a picture. And no matter what the caption is, I've given you no context to the picture. <laughs> if I post a picture now of me in Hong Kong in a Lamborghini and just say, yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm in Hong Kong. It's like, I haven't shown you how I got the Lamborghini, how long I've been working or what my job is or how I achieved that or why yeah. I'm in Hong Kong. I might be there for a meeting. My best friend might be working in a Lamborghini dealership. Like who knows what I am. It's just a snapshot. And usually it's a highlight reel of your best moments. You're not going to show people when you woke up and you was ill the other day and you had a runny nose, you don't take a picture and post that because you don't want people to see your worst moments. You only show your best. It's a highlight reel. It's not real. Yeah. And anyone's highlight reel will look amazing. Not going to throw any footballers under the bus. But a lot of them have highlight reels that look outstanding, but they're not that great. So what does that do then for young people growing up, spending all their hours as a lot of them do? It's on harsh, it's harsh, bro. Honestly, it's really harsh. Like for their for their mental health, it's really, really harsh. That's why I've, as I've grown up, I don't like flex anymore. I don't like like shitting on people. I like sharing my wins and trying to inspire people, but I don't want to shit on anyone because, you know, posting loads of jewellery and being like, look what I got and you don't have that. Who's that helping, man? Like, it doesn't make me feel better. I know I have the jewelry. And how are you helping little kids achieve by telling them I have something that you don't, they're just going to feel like I'm never going to achieve that. Love that. Yeah, but you should say, this is how I got here. You could do that as well. Like I came from where you came from and these are the steps I took to achieve this. No matter what it is, it could be, you know, a, a book deal or whatever it is that kids want to achieve. As long as you explain yourself and give like, doing things like this to show people, hey, this is how AJ did it or this is what his mind mindset was when he was trying to achieve it might help the next little AJ do his thing. So then tell us then, so if there was a kid from Ladbroke Grove listening to this that's yep. got an aspiration to, hope there is. to be a lawyer or yep. a doctor or something maybe not in the, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the sort of performing arts, what's the first step you, d you tell them to take to achieve a similar level of success that you've done? I would think the first step is probably, for me personally, this might sound like a random first step, but if you live at home with your mum and your dad, probably speak to them first and make your ambitions clear because they're the people who are financially supporting you and obviously morally, moralistically as well, but they're supporting you while you live at home. So these are the people that you're going to be around every day. And as your guardians, they need to really understand what your journey is and your path is so they can help you, help accommodate that. So I would go to my parents first and say, hey, I want to be a doctor. You know, if you guys have any suggestions or like da 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 and maybe, maybe your mum knows a doctor. Maybe your dad used to want to be a doctor. Maybe anything, they can talk to you about it. But also it's that you've established. I know how, how it goes with parents sometimes, you know, and today is quite a scary day to have kids. It's quite scary outside. So they might be like, I don't want you to be a BMX, you know, rider because the skate park's dangerous. I don't want you around there, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. But it's also about understanding how much your child wants to achieve this, if this is a viable goal for them. You know, if I said to my mum, give me a year off uni, I want to be a rapper. But I was rubbish, you know what I'm saying? Then I'm pretty sure, because I know my mum, she's quite rude. She would have said, no, nah, I don't think so. But it's like, you know, using logic as well. You don't just say, oh yeah, go for it, be a spaceman or whatever. Like you have to actually say, hey, if that's what you want to do, show me, show me your step, show me yeah. what you're going to do to achieve this and, and let's talk about it. And I then, think that's the, the first step, to be honest. And then what about friendship groups? Yeah. Because like- I love this one. This is my favourite yeah, favorite topic. Go yeah, on then. because we've been around <laughs> sort of, say footballers or, yeah. or people that have achieved significance. Yeah. And this is a huge area that, that, that often goes unspoken about, yeah. about the influence of your peer group and the mm -hmm. peer pressure that comes with it. So tell us why it's your favourite topic to discuss. Cool. I think, um, first off, you don't pick your friends. Initially, initially you don't pick your friends. But I also think that there becomes a time when your friend group can get stagnant. And if you understand that people around you don't have the same ambition as you, 
it's counterproductive to be around them. And I don't want to sound like some horrible guy who just cuts off all his friends because I've got the same group of friends I've had for like 10 plus years. But it's about knowing when to spend your time with certain friends and how to share your energy and time with friends. For example, um, I was I had a little music group when I was coming up and when I did my first BBC freestyle, like with all of us as a group, um, it was sick. We smashed it. We came out and everyone was on a high. But I took that opportunity to actually scold everyone. And that sounds crazy, but I'll, I'll explain why. We came out and we went to McDonald's and my cousin, Big Zoo, he's like a TV chef now. You guys might have seen him on TV. Yeah. Hilarious guy. I love him. But he's my cousin. So I was with him at the uh, Champions League final. Oh yeah? Perfect. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my he guy. He was enjoying man. himself. Of course out, he man. was. Of course he was. <laughs> Lovely guy. But I was with him and I was with all my other friends. But the thing is, the difference between all my other friends and him is he's actually my cousin. So I said to everyone, I said, look, the harsh reality of this is, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to achieve. I promise you, this is like almost six years ago now. I said, I know what I'm going to achieve. And I said, Zoo's my cousin. So even if he doesn't get up every day, he doesn't do anything, doesn't help me at all. I'm going to drag him. Like I'm going to bring him because he's my cousin. You guys, I'm not. So you have to put in your, your shift. You know what I'm saying? You have to do it. So I'm letting you lot know if you want to be with me, come with me. If you don't, do your thing. You know what I'm saying? Of course, by the way, I didn't have to drag Zoo. If anything, Zoo might be dragging me into TV soon. But even if he didn't do that, if he just decided to not do anything, because he's my cousin, that's how it yeah, goes. Yeah. I'm going to have him. I'm sure if I didn't make it, he would have had me. So with the rest of the friends, I really told them like, cool, we're on a high right now. That was great what we did, but you don't need to understand that. It don't stop here. You achieve something and we're going to keep, you know, you got to keep your foot on the gas. If we give up here, well, not we, because I was never going to, but if you guys give up here, that's you. I'm not going to bail you out. And I feel like, I have bailed out a lot of people. I say I'm not going to bail people out and then I always do because I'm a softie. But like, I'll bail someone out and then cool. The next time, you're not getting a second chance, bro. I did it. It's done and we're going to move on. But quickly, just quickly, with your friend circle, I genuinely believe this, yeah? You should be hanging out with people who you believe are achieving more than you, in my opinion, personally. Because when you're hanging out with people who are doing the same as you, that's cool. You're all doing whatever, but you that might breed content. Like you're cool, you're cool, chilling. You're all achieving. You're all, you know, you got the role. You got the whatever. You're cool. You're blessed, whatever. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's no problem if someone is achieving less than you, as long as they're trying to achieve. But it's the people who are content with not achieving. That's a problem. You shouldn't be around these people. These people are gonna make you feel like it's okay to underachieve, yep. but it's never okay to underachieve. And when I say that, I mean. In football, you ain't got to score a hat-trick, but you got to give your best though. Leave it all on the pitch and the manager can see you tried your best and that's, it is what it is. You had a bad day, you couldn't score whatever. That's fine, you tried your best. It's when, you know, I go into studio and I'm not serious. I'm playing with my phone and, you know, I've, I paid for the session, but I'm sitting here, the producer's trying to work. I'm ignoring him. I'm FaceTiming, whoever I'm FaceTiming. That's not serious, bro. That's not serious. You need to hang around with people who are going to encourage you. Like, hey, everyone should be spurring each other on. And, um, I recently built a gym in my back garden because I was like, cool, I'm not, I can't go to the gym. Like, obviously I can go to the gym, but sometimes I get, you know, people, hey, AJ, da, 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 and I can't do a workout. So I'm like, a good investment is for me to build a fully functional gym in my back garden because then every single day I have no excuse. I don't like to leave myself any room for excuses because I'm secretly lazy. If I can, if I can <laughs> achieve without doing the maximum effort, I'll find... In fact, you know what's crazy about it? I'm so lazy that I'm not lazy because I'll look for the laziest option <laughs> and find the route to not put in the work, which is mad. <laughs> which is a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. It's mad. It's, it's crazy. But take me back to that table after that BBC event. You yeah. sat in McDonald's yep. and you're like giving this set of instructions yeah. to your friends. And what intrigues me on that is that at that age, you wouldn't be popular. Yeah. And yet you're the one making yourself unpopular yeah. by saying, I, I'm going to the top yeah. and if you want to come with me this is never care about popularity at all bro in school i was not popular at all i did not care about popularity that is a currency that too many people yeah put too much emphasis yeah on. yeah uh we call it today clout it's just called clout now clout is crazy clout is 
clout is a disease, honestly, because it's like, if you ask most people today, genuinely, I've asked a lot of people this and you'll be surprised by the answer. If I say, do you want a million quid or a million followers? I swear to God, a lot of them are choosing a million followers, which <laughs> is mind blowing. It's crazy. Now, the thing is, of course you can make money for a million followers. Yeah, yeah, of course you can. But if I give you a million quid, like you can go and invest that. I feel like people think for today and not for six months, like we were talking about earlier, that social, a social media following is great, but you know, people were high performance before Instagram. Trust me, definitely were. It's great that we have social medias, utilize them, use them as a tool, but it's not the be all and end all. I promise you, if someone hacks my Instagram and deletes it tomorrow, I'll be upset, but like, it's not that deep, bro. Like, I'm still AJ Tracy, I'm still gonna make my music. I'll, I'll crack on. But I feel like a lot of people hang their whole entire lives on social media. Like, if you was to shut down their Twitter, Instagram and TikTok or whatever, they have nothing, which to me is mind blowing. That That is crazy to me. There needs to be to a point where you're looking at every avenue you can monetize and, you know, delving into it. So. I do Twitch, like I stream on Twitch. I play games because I love gaming. In my spare time, I play so much FIFA. It'd be ridiculous for me to not try and make money off it because I'm spending so much on FIFA points and stuff. So FIFA on Twitch. And then we got, obviously, I do occasional, um, you know, fashion stuff like like modeling. I go to Paris, I, you know, work with brands and stuff. That's another avenue. Obviously, I make music and we sell the music, but then I do live shows. That's another avenue as well. And then I make investments in art. And then I've recently got into like cryptos, NFT, stuff like that. So property, of course, you should be doing everything you can within your power. And it's such a shame to get to like a position to do these things and just squander it and just not do it. And just, you know, buy a couple cool things, shiny things and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm sweet. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So this is a good time to mention self-doubt. Yeah. Like... It's been such a fascinating, what, 45, 50 minutes where you have, <laughs> you have seemed like, you know, so razor sharp in your opinions and mm. your knowledge and your, you know, your laser focus about where you're going and where you've come from. Yeah. So what role does self-doubt play in your world? And I think this a, is valuable a big role. for people. Yeah, of course. A big role, man. A big role. I loved speaking about mental health because I feel like this is one of the most valuable things you can speak about. Because for me, it's like growing up, you know, I listened to a lot of rappers and hearing, I didn't really hear many of them say like, oh, sometimes I feel depressed or sometimes I'm anxious. Sometimes I'm not sure of myself because you need to hear that. Because if you think that the person you look up to is always sure of themselves and you're never sure of yourself, you, you can't relate. You can't relate. So I love saying to people, look, sometimes I wake up and I feel shit. You know what I'm saying? I feel shit. We all do sometimes. There might not even be a reason for it. Everything might be going fine, but I just feel shit. And for me talking about it and saying, hey, look, even though I've got this, I've got that, I've achieved whatever, da, da, da. I still feel shit sometimes. I still feel anxious when I got on stage. That's though, I promise you, I was bricking it before I got on stage. It is what it is. But these are things that humans go through and it's all right to feel like that. And it's just good to check on your mates and be like, hey, I don't feel great today. Like, what'd you recommend? They might say, might say, hey, come on, let's go cinema, let's go kick some, whatever, kick some ball. And I think hearing people that you look up to or hold in high regard, hearing them speak about, you know, being the same as everyone else is yeah. really, really, really important. So whenever I have the opportunity to, I definitely speak about it. And self-doubt plays a massive role, not only my life, but like everyone's life. Um, everyone I'm around at like the highest level, there's always self-doubt. I'm sure Ronaldo said to himself, 
can I do it at Man United again? Can I do it again? You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. He wouldn't have just been like, yeah, I can definitely do it. He would have been like, can I? And thought about it, yeah, yeah, I can. Then you gas yourself up, yeah, I can do it. Of course I can. But there's always self-doubt. It's natural. Well, then take us into the preparations for your Glastonbury set yeah. then. Because you were doing something very <laughs> different there. Yeah, you know, yeah. in terms of you were coming out with the now, mate. Yeah, yeah, oh, man. I, try, I dabble, I dabble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But how far back did you decide, I'm going to do something different here for this audience that is, mm. a, is, a, is a break from the norm? And then how did you overcome the doubts that maybe arose from that? I would love to sit here and tell you that I had it planned way, way, way in advance, but I did not at all. I really didn't. And I think this is also valuable for people to hear. I didn't have that planned way in advance. Basically, what happened is um, when we got um, this offer for Glastonbury and such an amazing slot, it's very prestigious. Like we knew how big it was going to be. I was over the moon. So I sat down with my manager and I'm like, cool, we can't do a normal show. And traditionally, everyone knows this about me. I'm independent. I don't have a big label funding me. Genuinely, people don't believe me, but I don't. Um, everything I spend is out of my own pocket, you know? Yeah. Um, genuinely out of my own pocket. So when I do a show, I might make 250K, but I promise you, I always spend 380K upwards. Like I'm trying to give people the best show ever because you reinvest in yourself and, you know, it comes back. It always comes back. So with Glastonbury, I'm like, cool, I don't care about the budget. We obviously went minus, but it's fine. Let's get a live band in. But that decision to get a live band in was probably like two weeks before the show. And obviously you need to rehearse. And doing songs, re-editions with the live band is completely different from doing your normal songs. And obviously the volumes, the... <laughs> yeah, but tell us why though, because because you could have just gone and done your normal set. I could have, I could have gone and do, gone done gone. my normal set, but that's extremely lazy. That's we're here to talk about high performers. That is not high performance. That's me taking the easy way out, and I hate taking the easy way out. When I say the lazy way, it's not always the easy way. It might be a harder way to be lazy, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So for me to be like, cool, I'm proud of that Glastonbury set. I had to do something that. One meant something to me, which is why I talk, spoke about Grenfell. I, I feel like I used that platform well. And then also surprise people. There would have been people there, you know, my mum's age being like, I've never heard of this guy, but I like it. I like it. You're a Sex Pistols fan. You like it. I'm doing some rock stuff. It's cool. Maybe you don't like all the songs, but you like one of them. Maybe, you know, someone else said like, oh, I've heard AJ Tracy. I like his normal stuff, but this is cool. This is a change. I like the different change. I've seen him before at Wireless. I've seen him wherever. And now I've seen him with a rock band. This is different. So for me, the preparation for that was like, cool. We're gonna get a rock band in. I got rehearsals. But the problem is, Javonchi was dressing me for the show. They dressed me. But I have to go to Paris and go to the Javonchi show, which was only a few days before Glastonbury. So I went to Paris, went to the show, came back, and I came back a day early. I cut my stay short. I had other shows to go to, but I cut it a day short so that I could rehearse. Now, even that for me is a testament to like, it always makes me feel good about myself because I'm like, I know I could have had fun in Paris, getting drunk and turning up wherever. Diplo played an amazing set. I had a great time, but I could have continued having a great time, but it's more important for me to come home and rehearse and the willpower to do that. Some people will be like, oh, why would I go rehearse? I know my, I know my lyrics. I'll just turn up and, you know what I'm saying? Stay here, but no, I went home, I rehearsed. And I think for the band as well, it was like good for them to see that I'm dedicated. Like it's not just you guys learning these songs and I'm just gonna half-ass it. I'm here with you. We're gonna learn it, make everyone feel comfortable. So I came back, rehearsed um, two days in a row. Great, had it smashed. But also it's like thinking about where I'm gonna stand on the stage. The stage is massive. It's not like the normal size. Yeah. There's like stage left and stage right and then down the steps, it's yeah. crazy. So learning how to stand on the stage and you know captivating a crowd and controlling. Being an MC is you know master coronations, but it's like, being a mic controller, you have to control the crowd. You know, I tell people, put your hands up. And some people would say, put your hands up and they won't put their hands up. But you have to say it like you mean it. Yeah. Put your hands up and the hands are up. You know what I'm saying? But that's that's part of it, man. I feel like just preparing for shows is is part of being high performance. Again, I've said that a thousand times. I hope you guys got the 
<laughs> but oh, then yeah. the moment you stood behind the curtain, yeah. just about to announce you, yeah. tell us about how, like, those moments there of what's going on through your mind. Yeah. How, how do you get yourself in a do place you have a routine, that, mental routine? I'll be honest, man, not really. My routine is I used to get drunk before my shows. Because I was. That's not high performance. Fun. That's not high. Honestly, that's not high <laughs> Where performance. Where does that see? Now that is fascinating because you're this <laughs> deep thinker yep. who's taken very careful steps all the we way. We all through. have our vices. That's the answer. We all have our vices. Before, before I had a girlfriend, I was very much enjoying life, liquor, great, having a great time, having a great night, rinse and repeat every day. It was great. But also, it's like that itself. Yeah, you're right. It's not high performance, but we all have our vices. Everyone's human. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's things that you learn from. So I used to do shows and the show was sick. Everyone would be like, AJ, that was a great show. But I know in my head, I was drunk. That wasn't a great show. It was an okay show. Yeah, yeah. And I can do way better. So now when I'm sober and I do the best of my ability, this is a different feeling. This is, I'm performing at the optimum level and I can go home and sit down and be like, great. That was the best I could have possibly done. Left everything out there. Perfect. That that's high performance. You know what I'm saying? And it's learning. It's always learning. Constantly learning. Even at Glastonbury, you know, um, I feel like I could have um, handled my stage presence a little bit better. You know what I'm saying? That's for me. That's something I improve on. I always take away from the show. Hey, I sit and reflect for like an hour after the show, and I say, what could I have done better? What will I do next time to give people a better show? And who helps you with that reflection? Myself. I'll be Just honest. yourself. Myself. I, I, I'm open to like you know constructive criticism. I may say, bro, that was a great show. I noticed at one point you or you looked a bit tired. You could have then yeah of course and for me like I said with the gym fitness is important for doing a live show I promise you like if I do an hour long set jumping up and down and screaming like, it's, it's a lot it's actually a workout so um, I actually take that from Stormzy Stormzy showed me that getting into shape is really important for your show eating well working out you know what I'm saying? And then being able to not run out of breath and give a full energetic show for an hour. It's important. It is important. Can I just follow up on on a couple of things there? You spoke about yep. the uh, the getting drunk before you perform, but yeah. also the idea that when you do go out there <laughs> and perform, there's almost a certain amount of vulnerability yep. that you're putting yourself all out there and not being drunk, yeah. therefore exposes you to the emotions, the feedback, yeah, yeah. both good and you bad. You feel everything, yeah. So how do you cope with that about making yourself vulnerable? Um, I'll be honest with you that's one of the hardest things I've had to learn like we talk about like the razor sharp focus and stuff but being vulnerable is, is really difficult for me I'll be honest because growing up and where I'm from being vulnerable just leaves you exposed and usually the people who fail are the ones who are the most vulnerable so I try to shield myself as much as possible but being vulnerable also allows people to make genuine connections with you which is essential someone in that crowd might genuinely hear my story or hear this podcast or you know hear the Grenfell tribute and hear my songs and be like you know what like I literally I, I am what AJ's talking about. Like I'm going through what he's talking about and that might inspire them to be like, hey, I, I could be up there on that stage like that. And for me, that's that's really important because when you leave the planet, you know, not to be a hippie, but honestly, you obviously can't take your money with you, but you can leave a legacy and you can improve people's lives and you can hopefully create the next AJ Tracy, the next whoever, you know what I'm saying? So for me, being vulnerable really allows people to, you know, as I say, make a genuine connection. And it's an essential part of being an artist. Like being a rapper is one thing, but being an, an artist is like, it's, 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 quite, it's quite different. You have to learn to connect with people, share your story, um, raise people up, but also, you know, still performing at the highest level, but that doesn't mean that you can't be vulnerable. Maybe performing at the highest level is being completely vulnerable. Something that I haven't achieved yet and hopefully I will do one day, but something I'm working on. So how does like the name AJ Tracy as opposed to Shay yeah. 
protect you from giving yourself completely or being completely vulnerable? Uh, it's, it's like a costume, you know what I'm saying? It's like a costume, like putting on your Spider-Man costume or something. It doesn't make me invincible, but there is definitely a guise of like, I can use that as an excuse. I don't, but I definitely could. I so can. what's the difference between AJ and Shay then? What's the difference? I mean, AJ for me personally is is a stage show name, you know what I'm saying? It's me, it's me being a music artist, but nothing much more than that, I'll be honest. It's just music. Che is everything apart from music. Che is, you know, caring about people, bringing my mum regularly and saying, how are you? You cool? Everything good? Checking on my little brother, making sure that he's doing well with his job and keeping his head down. Um, going to see my mates and kicking ball. Um, even, like, there's a few rappers that I'm genuinely actually friends with in real life. So, you know, checking on them, hanging out with them, seeing how their life's going, like, outside of music. Like I said, H, lovely guy, you know what I'm saying? We check on each other all the time. We won't even be, nothing to do with music. He'll just text me, say, yo, you good? Everything cool? Sweet, but it's important, you know what I'm saying? That's Che, I'll be honest, that's not AJ, that's Che. If I text you saying, how are you, bro? You all right? That's me texting you. If I text you saying, yo, I'm at Glasgow, can you come out on the third song? That's AJ texting you. <laughs> yeah, man. But um, I just think, I don't think, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I don't think um, separating them completely makes sense because obviously AJ is a part of Che and Che is obviously a part of AJ. But I do feel like um, it's, it's necessary to put the, the costume on and give your best when it's work time, because we're in the work environment, you should give your best at work. Um, I always say this to everyone around me. I always say that. I say that to the missus, say that to my little brother. I say, yo, when you go into work, forget all that. Forget everything else. Forget all that. Even if I have an argument with someone, like right before stage time, I promise you, I've forgotten it for 45 minutes. After, I remember it. Trust me, I remember it. But 45 <laughs> but minutes. Maybe there's a real value, right, to being vulnerable, yeah. Shay, right? Yeah. And being able to look at a performance or someone you've done and say, right, not good enough. Yeah. I need to be better. Mm. I mean, we can talk about your relationship with failure, but we believe that failure is a, f a fantastic element 100%. to life and you should embrace it and 100%. love failure. But then obviously you can then become AJ again on stage yeah. and there's no vulnerability. There yeah. is no mindset of failure because yeah. that's a conversation you have with a, almost a different person. Definitely. I don't want to go too deep. No, no, too abstract it's true here, though. It's true. It's true what you're saying. It's true. While I'm on stage, I'm not thinking about, you know, will I do this to the, I am, I am doing this to the best of my ability. I'm living this right now. I'm going to give AJ you the best Does AJ have show. any doubts, any self-doubt? AJ has no doubts. I'm not going to lie to you. None. Genuinely none. AJ Brilliant. has none. Shay has loads, but AJ has none. I promise you. AJ has no doubts. So tell us about Shay's relationship with failure. For me, that's outside of music, man. That's, that's like just life in general. Um, failure is a lot of things. Failure is, um, even though I chose to take a year off uni to go and chase music, I also feel a little bit like, I could have completed it. You know, like while I was doing music, I could have maybe completed it. So that for me felt like a bit of a failure. It wasn't really completely, but it did feel like it because I was doing what criminology. Was criminology. Right. Um, when I was younger, I wanted to be a lawyer. I really, really wanted to be a lawyer. I can argue for England. I love arguing. I really wanted to be a lawyer. I love history, love English. But um, my behavior, obviously I'm ADHD. So I, I was a little bit like distracted. I was easily distracted. And, and that's another thing as well, I think. With failure, sometimes what people call failure isn't actually failure. Does that make sense? So in school, like a teacher saying to me, oh, like, you know, it's been 20 minutes and you can't concentrate. Really, that means I need help. That doesn't mean I failed at this lesson. That means that you should be trying to help me and accommodate my learning needs. But obviously, you know, school's changed now. I'm sure it's different. I haven't been in school for a while. I'm sure it's improved. I hope it's improved. But um, yeah, I feel like failure is essential as well for, it's a learning tool. Someone who's never failed, when you do, it's going to be catastrophic. That's how it goes because you've never taken this lesson before. It's a harsh lesson you're going to have to learn. And if you learn it at the pinnacle of your career, you know, I don't, I dread to think about how painful that's going to be. Whereas me, it's like, I've picked up loads of little failures and I've ironed them out and tried again, failed again, ironed them out. And it's cool because it forms you into a person. 
it's like building armor, you know what I'm saying? Like working on armor, like a, like a, a blacksmith, because you know, there's a little chink in the armor, you iron it out and you see a different one, you iron it out until you've got the perfect suit of armor. And what's been the most significant failure you've experienced then? And what did you learn from it? In my personal life, I've had a few friends who I was working with them and I think I didn't understand or I didn't take a minute out to, to understand that me being AJ Tracy and living the life that I'm living um, and them, you know, they're not in the public spotlight. Like they don't earn as much money as me, et cetera, et cetera, but they're being subjected to a lot of the same, um, you know, attention as I am. It's it's quite hard for them. And I don't think some, sometimes I think that slip Are you quite demanding to be around? <laughs> yes or no, not really. I'll be honest, not really. I'm quite easy going, but my job is quite demanding. So if you're with me at work, then the pressures are on you regardless. Whether I'm putting the pressure on you or not, the pressure's there. You know, certain things like if you're with me and I have all my jewelry on, you can't take a picture and tag where we are right now. You can't do that because that's dangerous. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There's certain rules that you just can't do. When I li when I was single and I lived in my house with my older brothers, I was telling them, you can't bring random girls to the house, bro. You can't do it. Like, it's impossible because I live here and you're putting me in danger. There's just rules that people have to follow being around me. And it's, it's quite a lot, I'll be honest, it's quite daunting on people because a lot of my friends are living, you know, their lives, they're living their normal lives and they don't want to have to think about, oh, let me not, um, let me make sure I don't show the window in his house because then they can see where he lives from outside. It's quite a lot, you know what I'm saying? Me, I've hammered it into my, you know, psyche that I have to follow these rules. But for some other people, it might be, quite difficult. And I think that's a failure of mine just because I didn't, I wasn't empathetic enough with my friends and, you know, them not being in my position because with all the hardships that I go through, the other side is like, oh, but, you know, I have loads of fans and I make money and, you know, my mum's cool and da, 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 but they sometimes are subject to the, the hardships without the bonuses, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say that's a failure personally, not something I do anymore, but I used to do that and I've, I've kind of worked on it. One of the things that you're really well known for is being independent, mm -hmm. not playing the whole record label game. You've called your record label Revenge Records. I have indeed. Why Revenge Records? This is, you know, this is the first talk about this ever. No one's mentioned this yet. No one's ever asked you why? Only because we've not really announced it. We've not really said anything about it. It's just kind of like a... Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, well, Revenge Records, okay, I'll tell you why. Because I am someone who loves revenge, yeah? And revenge doesn't mean, you know, oh, like you you cut me up in traffic and now I'm going to like punch you up or whatever. So it doesn't mean like that. It, it means as in like people who I feel like have mistreated me just getting one up on him. And I don't think that's unhealthy. I've never, ever thought that's unhealthy. A lot of people say to me, you, you're holding grudges. You shouldn't do it. I don't think that's unhealthy at all. I think that life in general is a competition. I'm always competing for some reason or against something, not always someone, but something it might even be myself. Yeah. But revenge is like, cool. I, I told someone, yo, let's get to work. Let's go work on something. And they laugh and say, ha ha, never or whatever. You know, someone might be really rude and say, I'm not going to shoot over you. I don't care. Da, da, da. And then when it comes back around, and I've had my platinum hit now, and you want a verse, I'm going to laugh at you. Now, the thing is, with that as well, it, like, it might sound like petty, but for me, genuinely, it's like, I just like everything to be equal. My OCD likes everything to be one yeah, for yeah. one. Does that make sense? So it doesn't have to be a dramatic example of, oh, he's done me wrong and oh, I hate him for life or whatever, but it could just be like getting revenge on, for example, you know, something like Grenfell. They, the government's done us dirty and when we have our opportunity to get one over on them I promise you Labragove will be taking their opportunity to get one over on the government whenever they can it just is what it is it's about one for one so this is an e revenge is an energy source for you yeah of course for me it is and you s and almost in a positive way because you know the connotation of revenge is it's I'll, I'll be lying if I say I can say only positive both yeah. both for me it's whatever it's just it's, it's like karma for example I, I love karma because a lot of the time I see it happen and I'm like great that was deserved you know you know you see someone <laughs> yep. he's a bit of a he's a bit of a prick and he's done someone dirty and he gets it back and you're like 
that was all deserved. I love that. So how explicit are you in letting them know that you're scoring that equaliser? Yeah. And how much of it is it just internal that you just sort of give yourself a quiet moment of... It's just for me. I'll be honest, it's not for anyone else. I, even like whenever I get revenge, I'll never say, hey, I got my revenge. It's saying like right. Denzel Washington, I'm not trying to equalise. You know what I'm saying? But when I get my <laughs> revenge, I just sit and internalise. I'm like, oh, nice. Like... That, that happened ages ago and we've we've levelled the playing field now. It's equal. So in your head, there is, uh, and I'm not expecting names or companies or <laughs> a anything list. else. <laughs> a but, list. But there is a list You'd in your head. You'd be correct. You'd be correct. There is a list. And this goes through your career. Is, is but it's not a list that I consciously sit down like, oh, right, today I have to get so-and-so. No, not at all. Not at all. It's just a list in the back of my head. And when someone, you know, like buzzwords, they're more, they're more buzzwords than people's names. It's just buzzwords. Like, I remember so-and-so or this situation happened and I, I didn't feel great about it. And now I've corrected that situation. I've got my... You know what I'm saying? I've leveled it. Yeah, you need an equaliser, man. And if you can, you score another one if you can. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the importance then of, of being independent, not being signed to a record label. Yeah, for me, um, very important. But also, I don't want to sit here and tell anyone who's watching or listening that it's essential for you to be, you know, a big artist or make loads of money for you to be independent because everyone has their path. You might be independent and, you know, it's too hard for you. You might be of a label and it's super easy for you. You know, everyone has their path. For me, I really love people understanding that the work that I put in and, you know, getting the flowers for it. That's, that's what I love. So that's the whole essence of being independent because when I go and produce an album, it might not perform as well as everyone else's album because I don't have a massive label pushing me. Sometimes it does, it does perform. I'm not doubting myself. A lot of the time it does perform as well. But if it doesn't, you know, there's business factors that play into it that people aren't seeing. I don't have the support of a lot of things that people do have within the machine. But the reward is a hundred times greater because it's just me on my own. There's no one who can take credit for what I did. I'd worked, I trained, I rehearsed, I came back from Paris early, I did Glastonbury. You can't take the credit for that. So I for did those it. that don't know about the music industry, yeah. what is an artist with a huge label getting yep. that you're not getting, but you're still having to fight and graft and, and achieve to, to match up with them? This day and age, I'm not sure. I'll be honest. I'm not sure. I don't feel like being on a label makes you way stronger at this point. I'll be honest. Like, like the music industry's changed quite a lot with, you know, TikTok and things like that. If you get a viral, like if you got genuinely, if you two made a song now and put on TikTok and it went crazy viral, you would genuinely be able to generate a platinum record from that, which I think is very interesting because it takes a lot of the power away from labels because it means that you can genuinely do it on your own from your bedroom, which is a little bit scary for labels. But I think being independent is like, cool. So if I shoot a music video and it costs 50 grand, that's 50 grand that I would have used to, you know, pay my rent, pay my mortgage, buy my food, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's your money. It's my money. Literally, directly, like out of my bank account into the director's account, that's my money. Whereas with a label, you know, you have an advance, they've given you a float of a million or whatever they gave you, 800K, you can spend that on studio, you can spend that on outfits, cars, whatever you need to buy to, you know, be an artist. Whereas for me, there's there's no float. So like I have to do it in real time, if that makes sense. I have to make it and spend it. There's no spending it before I make it because it doesn't exist. It's my money. Yeah. What do you know what I really like about this, right? I think that a lot of young people particularly are walking around going, there's no opportunities yeah. for me. And people often come to yeah, me yeah. and say, I want to be yeah. on the telly, but there's no opportunities to be on the telly. And I say, take the phone out of your pocket yeah. and start broadcasting yeah. on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, wherever it might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is something that's actually really powerful, right? Is that there's more opportunity than ever before. 100%. If you're willing yeah. to put the work in. Exactly. If you're willing to put the work in, that's the this, this might be controversial. I don't think it is, but it might be. I think there's opportunities. We live in, honestly... London is one of the greatest cities in the world, especially for opportunities. I've been to New York, been to Tokyo, been to Seoul, been everywhere. They're great cities, but London genuinely for me is the best, specifically for opportunities. There is money everywhere. 
there's uh, when people say they can't get a job, I understand that. I do understand that. You know, there's different factors to why you can't get a job. Maybe you don't have the education for a certain job or maybe wherever you're, you know, it's a pandemic, people aren't hiring. I understand all of that, that's fair. But also there are things you can do though to be proactive and be chasing whatever it is you want to do in the meantime. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you're sitting around like, oh, I can't find a job and I'm just going to sit here until one falls in my lap. It's not productive, is it? Like you said, you can pull your phone out. You can start a podcast. You can broadcast on YouTube. You can stream on Twitch. If you game all day, if you play games all day, stream it on Twitch. Why not try and make some money off of it? You know what I'm saying? If you argue with your mate all day, why not argue about football on a podcast? Like there's there's things you can do to try and tap into the internet and the the, the vast wealth that is on the internet because yeah. it exists. And I know why you're hesitant to say this because yeah. like we're three people sitting here, you know, we've all got our own houses yeah, and yeah, we've yeah. all got jobs and yeah. it's easy then for us of to course, go, oh, there's opportunity. Of course. But I think as soon as you tell people that there isn't opportunity, yep. then there won't be opportunity. Exactly. It's about making them realise that sometimes the box that society is putting them in, yep. telling them, I mean, I grew up in a little village in Norfolk, mm-hmm. you know, very different upbringing to yours, mm-hmm. but still an upbringing where it was like, well, I'll just work for Bernard Matthews, yeah, the local, yeah, yeah. you know, turkey farm or yeah. I'll get a job at Norwich Union because those are the two businesses yeah, that yeah, yeah. everyone went to. I just yeah. went to the local state school. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a big deal just to leave Norfolk. Yeah, yeah. It's only when you start having these kinds of conversations, and that's why I want people to hear it, that it's like... We mean it in a positive way, exactly. And also not in a kind of making people believe that false things are there for them. But the truth is, if you... The first thing to have is the belief. Yes. And then the hard work. Exactly. And then let's see. You won't even get out of the gates without belief. If you think there's no opportunities, you genuinely believe there's nothing out there, then you, you won't even get started. Your car won't start. I feel like a lot of people nowadays don't make plans of action as well. And also, it is easier, easy for us to sit down and say this with our houses and blah, 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 blah. But also, we went through it, we did it. So it's not speaking of a point of I was born into wealth and I was just, you know, silver spoon in my mouth or whatever. Yeah. I really did graft. And I'm telling people, you know, I was in the same position or maybe even maybe a worse position than some people listening to this. And I made it happen. And it wasn't by luck. There's no luck involved in it. There was numerous opportunities like you said where I could have quit and tapped out and I chose not to and this is me telling people you should in my opinion never tap out until you feel like you've really done the most you can possibly do in this venture then it's fair it's fair game to tap out from there I think that's being logical but um, with the opportunities bro I completely agree with you I feel like Nowadays, there's an opportunity in everything. So how do you keep that balance then between your real passion and the craft of creating music and then all the other things that wrap around it, like the marketing, the promotion, the modelling and and the other uh, ventures that you have? Uh, To be honest with you, it's just, I don't put too much stress on like trying to balance doing more of one than the other. I just, I know I'm a rapper first and foremost. I'm an artist first and foremost. So that's where the majority of my energy goes into. But of course, whenever I have spare time, I pick up new ventures and try to build new avenues that could potentially one day be bigger than the music avenue. Right. You know, if I built a um, uni accommodation, for example, if I built some, that might turn into me building multiple uni accommodations, which might turn into me building all the uni accommodations for the UK. At that point, I would not be making music anymore, I assure you. Like, I love music, but the stress that comes with making music, as opposed to the stress of me being anonymous and building uni accommodation is, you know, quite appealing to me, genuinely. Uh, And I love this because this is big thinking. This is like... I can achieve anything. So yeah. let's let's ask. Let me ask you a question Go right ahead. about self confidence. Yeah, and you have to answer this absolutely. Honestly. I promise I will. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How good are you as a musician? How good am I? Genuinely, on my mum's life, I think I'm the best rapper in the UK. Genuinely, I swear to God. Now I'm surprised you said UK. What I'm going to say to you: the reason why I say UK is because 
I don't know the competition in the other countries. I listen to American music, of course, but I don't know them. I'm not around them. I don't know. I'm, I know when I'm around everyone and this isn't a diss to any of you rappers because I love you guys. But also I do, of course, think I'm the best. If you don't think you're the best, it's hard for you to reach the optimum level because you're always going to be like, oh, I'm not as good as so-and-so, but then you're not trying hard enough. There's nothing. When I started making music, I started and I sat and I watched YouTube. I remember I was with my little brother in my bedroom and was watching YouTube, different rappers, you know, their music videos and, you know, um, performances and stuff. And I was saying to him, I'm better than these guys. Don't you think I'm better than these lot? And he's saying, yeah, but I'm saying, so the only problem is that no one can hear me. The problem isn't the ability. I think I'm better than them. So if they have this career, what's stopping me from having that career or beyond? Nothing, nothing's stopping me, but I just need to find a way. That's the that's the thing, right? That's getting, getting out there. So in every, you know, if you want to be, um, I don't know, man, a, a race car driver or something, you might think you're good at driving cars, but you need to prove to the right people and get in front of the right people yeah, and show yeah. them that you're good at driving cars. This is the thing. And that's the hardest part for me personally, because there's rappers probably literally in Labra Grove, because the UK is massive, that might be better than me. Genuinely, it might be better than me, but they might never get the opportunity. That's that's how, how life goes. But they need to have the drive. I always say that music genuinely is 20% of being a rapper. I swear to God, it's 20% because great, you're really good. We're going to listen to you. That's great. But now comes all the other stuff how you hold yourself in public, how you speak, the topics that you touch on, you know, do you care about the youth that listen to you? Are you setting a bad example or a good one? Do you cause problems or do you, you know, quell them? At the end of the day, there's so much other stuff like business acumen, you know, do you invest your money correctly? Which studio do you use? Are you using the right quality, you know, equipment to present yourself correctly? There's so many things, brand deals. Do you align with certain brands? You know, you align with an alcohol brand. Now certain families, for example, Muslim families are not going to buy into you because, you know, obviously Muslims are not compatible with alcohol. It makes sense. You need to think about what you want to do, where you sit in this big, you know, ecosystem and go for it, double down and apply pressure. And for me, when I meet young artists, I always tell them like, don't kill yourself before you started. Because a lot of things, it's, it's really like, Hazardous, there's landmines everywhere. You could really like kill yourself before you even started because you might take a brand deal and what they stand for, <laughs> everyone dislikes, you know what I'm saying? And then boom, you've killed yourself. No one wants to work with you now. Um, you might say something, you know, out of pocket. You could say something racist, even by accident. You know, you need people around you who are telling you, hey, be careful, bro, don't say that. That's that's incorrect. Again, that loops into the friendship circle. You need friends who are going to tell you, bro, yeah. don't talk about that, bro. That's incorrect. That's wrong. You shouldn't speak about people like that or you shouldn't have the idea about that group of people. You need people to tell you that. So for me, I always tell the young artists, listen, sit down before you make the move. Think about the move first. You know, again, with chess, you don't just, I'm going to move this here, move that there. You think about it. What happens? What's the consequences of me moving this piece here? What happens after that? Where do we go? And if they take my piece, what do I do after that? I always think like that. You have to. So tell us then, like, the three questions Mm -hmm. that you almost ask yourself before you make a decision, because Mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm hearing that you're thinking long-term. 100%. You're thinking in terms of... um, authenticity yeah. acting with integrity yeah. tell us what the di- but i'm three but- questions if, if i was to break it down into three yeah. questions i would say um does this make me happy honestly that's now being older and i think this is a product of me you know obviously earning what i earn and being yeah. in a comfortable position but now my main thing is does it make me happy because yeah. if it doesn't i'm not doing it anymore i don't have to so i won't that's that's the main thing number one is it made me happy number two how does this decision affect me in six months time what are the possible outcomes of me making this decision in six months time? Because sometimes you don't see the effect until later. Yeah, You need to make sure, like, like, just think about it. You might not know the answer, but at least if you thought about it and, you know, put a little blueprint out, 
if the eventuality comes that this has put me in a walker position, this is what I'm going to do to get out of it, or these are the, da, 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 yep. fine, it's going to help. And the third one, what would I think for the third one? To be honest with you, that those are the two main, those are the two main questions. Anything aside from that is just going to be, you know, does it make financial sense? You know, the, the common questions that you would ask yourself for any business decision. Yeah, yeah. But even financial sense, like I do a lot of things that don't make financial sense because they make moral sense. You know what I'm saying? It's something I should do. Like I say, again, looping back into things you should do as a human. Or artistic sense, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I see a lot of music now made. My wife's very good at this. Yeah. She's really musical. She goes, oh, another song literally made for TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Or that That's a big like, thing right now. Yeah, that's a big thing right uh, now. You've not gone down that route, though. You, I haven't, but I haven't. But even people would say to me that I'm failing by not going down that route. I don't think I'm failing by going down, not going down that route. Because so what is I don't your North do Star that. then? Like, what is success for you? Like, I kind of get the impression that you're a, a bit like me really like have you ever seen Hamilton yeah yeah you know when he sings there's a million things I haven't done exactly oh man exactly like, but it's, it's true though it's actually true because yeah. for me it's like I'm 28 and you know in terms of being a rapper the lifespan's quite short it can end whenever it can end next year I hope it doesn't but it can end next year it can end anytime music's quite fickle people could just get bored of you and I want to make sure that I have a contingency plan in place for me to live and enjoy the things I currently enjoy if that should happen which is what I'm working on but also, I feel like as a human, I'm much more talented than being in a box of just making music. I feel like, you know, I could design clothing maybe. Yeah. I, I'm not a great footballer, but I'd love to kick some football, you know what I'm saying? But maybe being a coach or maybe being a, a DOF, like maybe I have a good eye for being a scout. Who knows? That's something I could go into, like properties. I'm really good. I've developed a few properties now. I know what I'm doing now. I have an idea. Maybe that's something I go into. Interior design. Who knows? Anything. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end that where you've achieved. It doesn't stop there. There can be loads of other things you can achieve. So us introducing this podcast as a conversation with Grimes star AJ Tracy <laughs> or even a conversation with musician AJ Tracy. Yeah. In many ways, that's the wrong introduction, right? I mean, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm okay with whatever type of introduction because yeah. I like, you know, someone being introduced to a rapper and then you unpeel the layers and there's yeah, more yeah. than that. I like that. Because if you said, oh, entrepreneur and this and that, and da, 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 yeah. maybe you wouldn't be shocked. I like the shock value sometimes. But then let's go to your epitaph then. Mm -hmm. Imagine that somebody's reading out that eulogy at your funeral. Yep. What do you want them to say about you when it's all, uh, when the journey's run? When the journey's run, let's see. Cocky, but I've got the job done. That's me, done. That's it, easy. He was cocky, because I am cocky, but he got the job done. That's what it is. I promise you, I'll, I'll be cocky, but there's, it's, it's, you know, has foundation to it. Yeah, I'm not yeah. cocky for no reason. And I believe that's confidence, but I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes I do take it over into cockiness sometimes. It happens. And I, <laughs> I love all the, like, the collaborations you do with big US artists when yeah. a lot of your contemporaries are just working with, you know, British mm -hmm. artists that they know and they, and yeah, they, yeah. they maybe feel more comfortable in that area. Yeah. Like, there is... Do you believe there is so much more still to come from, not from Shay necessarily, but from yeah. AJ Tracy? Yeah. Like, is this just the beginning? Definitely, 100%. I feel like um, even if I go down a different route of being a music manager or whatever it is that I get to at the end, there's definitely way more to come. Definitely way, way, way more to come. Things that are going to surprise people. Even the label is the start of like my next venture, you know what I'm saying? Being able to bring youth into the label and you know show, share with them what I've learned and the mistakes I've made and hopefully mould them into like young, sick artists. So that's something I want to do as well. So yeah. Uh, we've right. reached the point in our interview where we just do our quick fire questions Sweet. at the end. Let's do it. What are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you yep. have to buy into to be part of your circle? I don't like people who talk down on people. Yep. If, if someone, you know, makes less money than you or you just think that they're less of a person than you, I don't like people talking down to them. I hate that. That's disgusting. I, I don't want to be around anyone who does that, genuinely. I want to fight people for that, genuinely. It's just going to sound better random, by the way, but I'm still, these are the ones that come to mind. I don't like people who are horrible to animals. I don't like that. None of that. None of that around me. Like, 
I'll be honest, obviously I wear leather and stuff like that. I'm not a vegan, but I do care about how you treat living things. You know what I'm saying? So that's another one. And the third one, non-negotiable. Got to respect my mum, man. That's it. She's the OG of the family. You got to respect her. You respect my mum, then you're good. Everything's cool. Just make sure you respect, you respect my mum. I broke out of a girl over that, trust me. She called my mum drunk one time and... My mum called me saying, oh, you know, she, my mum's so like harmless. You know what I'm saying she called me like, oh, I think she's drunk. Don't worry about it. Da, da, da. I said, no, mum. I hung up. I called her. I said, do not step forever back in my house. That is done. Don't call my mum drunk. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I hold my mum in such high regard. Everyone else around me has to. And as long as they do, then we're all good. What does your mum say about your success? My mum's super proud and chuffed every day at all times, which is for me amazing. I'll be honest. Where were you? Yeah. Where are you? And where are you going? I was in Labrador Grove chasing a dream, for sure. That's what I was doing. Where am I? I am in a bit safer area of London, but in a very happy space. I'm I'm not content, that's the wrong word, but um, I'm definitely just happy right now, happy. And I feel like happy is a word that I haven't been able to use that often in my life. Because being happy is very, it's a very vague thing to say, oh, I'm happy. Because you might say to someone, how are you today? And they say, I'm good. But you might be good, like you're cool, but you're not happy though. Happy is, you know, a good feeling. And genuinely right now, I'm quite happy in my life. So that's where I am now. And what was the last one? Where am I going? Where am I going? Where am I going? That's a really good one. I don't know where I'm going, I'll be honest. I have no idea. There's not like a map, but I've got a compass that showed me like the right direction, basically. <laughs> one book that you would recommend our listeners read that's cool. had an impact for you? Uh, the Motorcycle Diaries, which is about Che Guevara, who's who I'm named after. I would advise people um, read that book. You might like him, you might not like him, you might have your ideas about him or whatever, but I think it's a very interesting book to read. So yeah, my mum will be happy that I said that as well. It's one of her favourite books. What's your biggest strength and what's your biggest weakness? My biggest strength is, I genuinely think, caring about people. Sometimes people think I'm a bit soft because I just care about everyone. You know, like, I, I see someone like going through it and I'll just help them out. And like, even if I don't need to or whatever, I just do. Cause I just, it's just how I feel. And I genuinely feel like all this nice stuff happens to me. Cause I always try my hardest to be nice to everyone else. I genuinely feel karma. like yeah, I've, karma, whatever you want to call it, whatever you believe in karma, God, you know, whatever. Yeah. For me, I just try to be a good person. I think that's fundamental to being just a human. And uh, my, my weakness, is that, did I say my strength, right? Yeah. Cool. Because you can see that as a strength or a weakness. I see yeah, it as yeah. a strength. But um, my weakness, what would be my weakness? I think, sometimes I think on emotion too much. I sound like a logical guy here, but that's just because I'm in a good mood. But sometimes, you know, when you're hungry, what do they say? When you're hungry, when you're horny, you shouldn't make decisions. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Those kind of things. I think sometimes thinking on impulse is, is a problem for me. Um, I've ironed it out a bit now. But... Um, you know, I get upset and just be like, maybe my manager says something that I don't like. And I'll be like, oh, don't talk to me for the rest of the day. I'm actually like that. I'm a baby sometimes. So I'll be like, oh, don't talk to me. Then later I'll be like, you all right now? I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'm all right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is your one message to a teenage Shay just starting out? It's crazy. I don't want to sound super cocky, honestly. This is one of them cocky ones, but I feel like I was doing everything right. I made mistakes, but they were the correct mistakes. I made mistakes because I was trying to do the right things. So if that makes sense. So there's not much, but I think one of the things I definitely would say is um, just like, it sounds cliche in it, but just keep going. Cause I know a lot, of, a lot of the points in my career, I was like, when I was younger, I was like, oh, this is long, man. Like, this is just, forget this. This is, I might as well just go and get a job. You know what I'm saying? I did feel like that a lot of the times. I was at least 95% of the way to quitting a lot of the time, honestly. I think I would just say, just keep going. Everyone's got there. Have you seen that picture that everyone loves posting of like a guy mining and he turns yeah. around and the other one hits the diamonds? It's so cliche in it, but it is, it is true though. Honestly, it is true because you could just get that one break and that's it. You're in there, you're in the door and you can't believe it. You're in the door. You're like, wow, I'm actually here. That's how it happened. That's how I felt with me. It's like, I kept going, kept going, kept going. And then one day 
I was just around like Skepta and all these big rappers that like I look up to and I was like, wow, I'm in the door. Like I'm actually here now. It's mad. It really does feel surreal sometimes. Like even to just digest the things that I'm doing sometimes. It's nice to have these conversations and like reflect on what it is that I've done. And the final question then, Shay, is what's your one golden rule to live a high performance life? One golden rule. Um, to be honest, again, not to sound, you know, cliche or whatever, but like enough is never enough I'll be honest when you tell yourself it's enough it's actually not enough like you get in the gym I don't know if you guys like the gym I can see he's been hitting the gym a little bit yeah when you get in the gym it's like <laughs> you, you know when you sit on the bench or whatever you're doing you lift a dumbbell and it's like you've done 10 reps and you're like yeah that's enough but it's not enough though because you physically could get another rep out of your arm so why not why would you not do another rep you know does that make sense you hit the bench you're like cool I've done 10 reps but I can get an 11th and sometimes it's nice that's why you have these friends one more time looping back to the friend circle because you need those friends there to be like no you could do another one. I know you, you got another one. And sometimes you get another one and nah, you got another one. You know what I'm saying? So when you would have quit at 10, you got 15 out now. Yeah. But surely you need to keep going anyway until you can't lift anymore. 100%. Like, I, like, we love talk, like reframing the idea yeah. of failure. Like we think failure is a bad thing. But when you go to the gym with your PT or- Exactly, your house, you go to goes, failure. Exactly. Lift to failure, why? Exactly. Because you're stronger. Exactly. You go to failure and failure was 15 last time and it's 20 next time. Of course, that's what it is. But it's great when you physically fail because you're like, yeah, that's, I gave it my all. That's everything I got. I'm good now. I can rest. <laughs> Man, listen, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Damien. <laughs> yeah, that's thing, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been so blown away. I've been so blown away by the conversation. I forgot your name. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was brilliant. A highlight for you? That analogy you used at the end about that, that image, because that came to mind when he was talking about it, the guy that's sort of like mining and he's digging a hole underneath it and then he's turned around and walked away and just beyond the other side of it, you can see the riches and the gold that he's going to strike. And I just think the idea of somebody investing their time, even when they don't know success is coming, but doing all the right things, making the right decisions, that, that conversation he had with his mates in McDonald's where he's telling them, I'm going to the top and this is what I'm prepared to do to get there. I just think they're so incredible messages. It's an interesting reflection on society that at times he's hesitant to say opportunity is there for fear of kind of being criticised for almost like survivorship bias. Just because it worked for you doesn't mean it'll work for everybody else. But his entire story is one of consistency, unbelievable, relentless hard work. But more than that, as we spoke about at the end, like the, the self-belief, the optimism, the thinking big, the expecting that great things are going to happen. It comes back to that same old phrase, like believing good stuff's going to happen doesn't make it happen, but it gets you a hell of a lot closer than believing something negative is going to happen to you. The optimistic mindset carries such value. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And it's funny why people do feel reluctant to, to talk about it. It's that idea that because... He's somebody that's, he, he is sending the lift back down. You know, like, I, I love that old phrase that, like, if you reach the top, it's your duty to send that lift back down and help others. And I think he needn't feel reluctant because he's sharing stuff that's within everybody's gift. Like you say, it's the idea of, like, look at the humble origins that he came from, the impoverished community that he was in. You know, the fact that he was from a single parent family and things like that. The, the, like these were all disadvantages in his language, but he turned them into advantages through that optimism, uh, that willingness to work hard, to be consistent. They're within everybody's gift if we're prepared to accept that luck is a small part of it. A lot of it is about the stuff we do every day. Yeah, what do we say? Life is 95% how you react to the 5% of things that happen. And I think the other big takeaway for me is he is you know he's he's a long way from where he wants to be as he admitted you know yeah but 
he's obviously in the midst of a really incredible music career, yet his ambitions still lie in other areas, in other businesses, in other expertise. That sort of second mountain thing. There's no resting on laurels. There's no, I've achieved it, I'm going to chill out. He, his sort of energy source looks as fired up as ever. Yeah, yeah. And I think another thing that he did, that gives him that energy that's an interesting one for us to reflect on is the longer term thinking. He's not, he, you know, he's not playing this game for the next year. He's playing it for the next 10 years. And I think sometimes if you ask that question of, um, of like he does is in six months time, what will the consequence of this decision be? It means that you stop being short term and going for, for the quick fix. You start thinking about the longer term perspectives. And I think that was really engaging examples that he was offering to us there. Well, as always, I hope it's challenged opinion. I know there'll be people that wouldn't know of AJ Tracy or his music who've listened to this episode, but there'll be a lot of people that came to this because it was AJ Tracy. And I hope that they realise they might have known AJ Tracy, but they perhaps didn't know Shay. And I hope that they feel that they, they know Shay as well now. Well, so often we talk about this. I, I, I was looking. I was looking at the Sean Dice interview that we did from a couple of years ago, and he and he used a line where he said, "You know, we've not spoke about football at all," and that almost captured the essence of what we tried to do on this podcast. We're not talking about footballers or or musicians. We're talking about people that just happen to do that for a job. And I hope that people that maybe weren't familiar with AJ Tracy's work have got something valuable from it. Right, time for one of our favourite parts of the show, meeting someone who listens to High Performance. We had a message to say, hi guys, in my 20s I lived a normal but impulsive lifestyle of thinking opportunities will just arrive at my doorstep because of my background and having a supportive family. After going through university with no real direction other than knowing my passion for sport, I scraped through with a degree but no leads and overwhelmed with what to do and I found the pressure of social expectation difficult and decided in a dark moment of having £3.20 in my account to actually pick myself up and say enough is enough. After meeting my beautiful wife, I decided to combine my passion for sport and people to become a teacher. I was 29 at this stage, and even on the first day of lectures, sat in the car park, ready to drive away and quit before I'd even started because of the fear of failure and thinking it was too late to change my career. 18 months on, I'm now a fully qualified teacher in a secondary school in Gloucestershire teaching PE and I couldn't be happier. I've got married, become financially stable, bought my first house. I've come so far from the man who went out looking for one meal at a time, sleeping on the floor in a shared house I didn't own and chasing rent debts. I wanted to share this with you and others to show that anything's possible. You can be content and happy with a normal job and perform highly in that. It doesn't have to be about being an elite athlete or making millions. And I hope a brief summary of my story shows that. That. What a brilliant story. There's so many things for us to dive into there. So, George Harris, welcome to High Performance. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jake and, and Damien as well. It feels very surreal to be on this, but um, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be speaking with you today. Well, it might feel surreal, but it shouldn't be. Because one of the things that is key for us on High Performance is that people realise high performance, as you say in your message, isn't about high wealth or about high status it's about high happiness. It's about high self-worth. And it sounds to me like you were in a place of low happiness, low self-worth, and you've managed to turn things around. So could we just go back to that moment where you say, having £3.20 in my account, I made a decision to pick myself up and say enough is enough. There'll be loads of people listening to this that feel like they're in that place at the moment. And they've said to themselves a million times over, enough's enough, but they haven't made the change. Can you give us some advice for them on what you actually did to make the change? So one of the things that really stems with me is um, 
the golden rule of what you guys echo constantly on the, the high performance podcast, which is taking 100% responsibility, that, that 100% responsibility rule. And I remember, I remember being in a situation where I really didn't know where to turn next. And I think being surrounded by like-minded people is such a positive drive for anyone. I had a very good background. I, was, I had a very supportive uh, family network and everything. And I, I remember thinking that the opportunities will, will just come to me because of the life that I was given by my parents and by friends and family. And I soon realized that actually the only driving force that can really change the outcome of your life is you. Um, no one else is going to do that for you. I ended up losing my job through COVID and going on furlough and then being released. And I thought, I need to do something here. I'm, I'm either going to go down a very, very dark path or I can pick myself up. And it was that 100% responsibility rule and thinking the only person who's going to come out the other side with positivity is me. And um, I was very guilty of, of following others and being a sheep in that regard and, and thinking that it's okay to cruise through life. And I think I know now in my job that I'm never going to be rich doing what I'm doing, but it depends what you what you define the term richness because I'm not richness in vocation, but I, I'm richness in, in life. And, and enjoy the things that I do. And I think there's no better thing to chase than chase something that you love doing. So what was the first step then, George, that once you decided to take 100% responsibility, what was the first step that you took along that pathway? I, I almost did like a, a brainstorm. So I went home and, I, and I'd just received the call that I'd been let go from my job and I literally didn't have any money to my name and uh, no no aspirations or career prospects of what's doing at this stage you know I'm in my late 20s and I thought making excuses constantly thinking you know there's someone else to blame they've let me go I've lost my job I should feel sorry for myself and I just went back to the drawing board and I, I remember having a conversation with my, my wife Francesca and I, I just said um, you know what do I do here and she said well what are you passionate about and I've always had a passion for sports and I've always had a passion for, for people and learning. So I thought, what, why, why don't I just research this? I mean, it's okay to go back a step or even a few in my case to go forwards. Those opportunities only come if you take that leap of faith. And um, after I had that brainstorm, I decided to put the passions together and, you know, the rest of the proofs in the pudding. I mean, a year down the line, I'm now doing a job that I absolutely enjoy working in a secondary school in, in Gloucestershire and I you know I, lo I love my job I don't see it as a job I, I just see it as um you know as something that I can enjoy I also I'm really pleased that you mentioned that you were 29 and you felt like it was too late there's a lovely phrase from the Stoics George that I use well I probably overuse it actually which is when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago when's the second best time right now and we get messages all the time from people saying, I wish I'd done this, but it's passed me by. And we always say there's, you're never too late to chase high performance. You're never too late to chase happiness. You know, if you've, if as in your case, you've delayed your happiness for 29 years waiting for something amazing to arrive, why delay it one more day, one more week, one more year? Now's the moment to go and find that happiness. I think that's a really powerful message. So thank you for sharing that. I also want to just talk to you briefly about, if you don't mind, your upbringing, because you say... I had a really supportive family and I thought because of my background, so I presume you come from a nice, stable, secure, well-off family, right? Now we all think if we can just provide a nice, well-off, stable, secure life for our kids, they'll be fine. But there has to be something more. What have you learned through your own upbringing and your own experience that we should be doing and saying to our children so that yes, we're there for them and yes, we're giving them roots, but we're also giving them wings and we're letting them know that really it's up to them. For me, it comes down to, to core values. You you can't just rely on other people to you know carry you along. I think you've got to take some sort of ownership of 
who you want to be and finding out and taking that journey of, of who you are. And I had this, this shadow over me of basically being an imposter and thinking that I need to please others. I can't do that job because it's beneath me. It's just core values, work hard, find about what you're passionate about and go for it. You know, I don't have children, but I mean, if my advice would be further down the line to anyone to be, don't take opportunities for granted. Every opportunity is there to take, but you need to take that leap of faith to be able to, to succeed. So listen, mate, thank you very, very much for reaching out, for sharing with us, for coming on the podcast. And I know that will be a great help to so many people. All right. Thanks so much, Jake and Damien. Keep doing the amazing work you're doing. It's fantastic. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that. Just a quick reminder that you can get even more from us. I'd love you to join the High Performance Circle. Just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com, click on Circle, get your invite, and you will get so much, including weekly emails from yours truly, information every week from the professor, book recommendations, keynote speeches, high performance boosts, you name it, you will get it for free from the High Performance Circle. And also we have our very own Telegram community as well. If you follow us on Instagram, either at Jake Comfrey or at High Performance, you'll find our Telegraph community. Uh, some good giveaways on there as well. But thank you so much to you for coming to this episode of High Performance. I really do hope that you are able to do the only thing I want, which is continue to spread the learnings you're taking from this series of conversations. Please shout about it. Put it somewhere. Send me a message. Tell me what you made of it. Talk to a friend. Maybe someone needs a bit of help and this might be the thing to help them. But that is what will grow this podcast, you sharing it among your community. Thanks to Finn from Rethink Audio for his especially hard work on this episode and turning it around so quickly. To Hannah, to Will, to Eve, to Gemma. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, and empathetic. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you.